Well, good morning, Door Creek. It is good to be here on a spring, winter, kind of, I don't know what it is, morning. So if you're a guest here today, my name's Mark, one of the pastors, and we're so glad that you're here. Uh, for those of you that get um, notes from me and vlogs from me, and you're on the uh, communication kind of pathway, you filled out a communication card, well, then you know that today's uh, a big day in the life of our church as we continue down the, uh, the path of rooted, being grounded in good, grounded in Christ for the good of the world. And so John just told us about the big serve a couple weeks back, and today's our opportunity to advance financially the initiatives through our big give. And so if you're a guest here today, we're doing something we don't normally do. We're passing an offering plate and collecting an offering. Usually we don't do that in the service. So that's not for you, but for our church family, and we look forward to doing that later on in the service. I also mentioned that I'd be given an update on where we're at with Rooted. So we started a little over, uh, a little less than two months ago, and there's been a great response. So here's where we're at. We have a million and a half dollars pledge, which is awesome, 1.5 million. It's 280 cards that have come in. There's actually another 50 people in the church and families who've started giving to Rooted. You haven't filled out a card. In addition to that, there are hundreds of people in our church that are pursuing a spiritual growth plan in response to God's leading as we ask him the simple question, Lord, where do you want me to grow to be more like your son, Jesus Christ? And uh, so if you haven't connected to uh, that spiritual growth plan, that's really important. If you haven't connected to a, a card, a, a, a pledge card, they're still in the chair backs. You can still do that. So it raises kind of an obvious question. I thought the number was 2.5. You're telling me it's 1.5. So what does this mean? If I do the math, that's like a million dollars short. So here's what it means. It means all the different initiatives we're going to be doing and pr propose to do, we're still going to do them. We just have less funds that can go to retiring debt, to building a new multi-site on the north side, to helping build out a new space for North Campus, less money for sports ministry, for our compassion projects and training initiatives. So we can still do all of that. We're assuming that there's going to get more uh, traction here financially in terms of commitment. And as that comes in, that'll all get directed. So the plan is we're still moving ahead. We just have less resources than we had planned. Now, the next thing and last thing I wanna say before we get into the message is, don't forget, Rooted is like, it's its own deal. It's its own track. Really important, it dovetails right with our mission of seeing people change into devoted followers of Christ, right? But it, it's outside of our ongoing ministries and the giving we have to those ministries. So thanks for remembering that in your giving. And just an update, we're a little bit behind. We're anticipating that we're going to end okay, but not without all of us kind of contributing and moving those purposes forward. So how are you doing today? Is busy an idea, a word that could come up to the answer? Crazy busy? Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? How would you know if where you're at today is kind of healthy? So let me tell you about a time in my life where I feel like we were just in a sweet spot, just a healthy rhythm of life. It was back in 1992. I had a chance to go on a six-month sabbatical, and we decided with our three little girls, let's go to Baleg. Baleg is a little village that my dad grew in in Switzerland. On the west side, right alongside, I mean, it's, I, could, 
almost spitting distance from France. So he said, let's go to Balek. Just sleepy little hollow of 900. And let's just see what it's like to live in Heideville. That's what it kind of <laughs> felt like as you're going. So we packed up the girls. Laura was five. Bridget was three. Claire was one. And off we went. I had uh, started a doctoral program at Trinity. And so I had my doctoral project. And uh, we stayed in my parents' little apartment. It was the old wash basement of the house on the main floor. And it was converted, real small, maybe 500 square feet. And there's a little bedroom for Lori and I. And then this one room had little bunk beds in the corner. <clears throat> there was a couch. There was a couple of soft chairs. There was a dining room table. And out of the dining room table, you could look at the valley below and You'll see it in this picture with the flag. And, and, and off in the distance, you could see Don de Voyant. That, that's the view like from the dining room window. And the girls went to school where the grandpa went to school. And uh, there was something even for uh, little Bridget as a, a three-year-old. They had programs there. And I would go up to the third floor. My uncle rented out the top of the house. And it was a vacation place. So he said, you can use my upstairs bedroom. No one's going to be there. You can set it up as your office. And so I'd go up in the mornings <clears throat> at six in the morning, I'd read my Bible and I'd pray, looking out over the beautiful scenery. And then I'd grab my Calvin's Institutes and I was reading through that carefully. And, and then at eight o'clock in the morning, I'd head down, we'd have breakfast. A lot of times I'd leave the study a little early and I'd walk down to the bakery and I'd come back with a big old fresh, still warm out of the oven baguette. And when they made a baguette in Bale, it was like a kilo, 2.2 pounds. That, that's Luke in our second sabbatical at the same place. I mean, it was awesome. So we'd have breakfast together. I'd go up to my study and study all morning. The girls would go off to school. Lori was busy with Claire. Then we'd meet up like all of Switzerland shut down from 12 to 2. The schools were shut down. The kids went home. The factory workers came home. If, if they were a half an hour away, they'd commute home, have their big meal, everybody together. So we did that. We didn't take the full two hours, but I was down there for an hour. We had a great lunch. Back up in the study. After the afternoon, dinner time, I'd come down. We'd have dinner together. And then after dinner, we'd put the chairs up in front of the fireplace, put a big fire in there, and we would read to the kids. We read through Chronicles of Narnia that year. It was awesome. And then put the kids to bed, the girls in the bunk bed, Claire in the back hallway in her crib, and Lori and I just reading by the fireplace. I mean, it was amazing. But I have to tell you, when I left, I was really nervous. I'm not a guy, nor had I had a job as a youth pastor to just sit around and study. And I was nervous that it was going to like freak me out, that I was going to have some kind of emotional breakdown, you know, just being still. How is this going to work? I was really nervous. But man, I got over that really, really quick. On Saturdays, it was like, let's go on an adventure. There's castles everywhere. The girls loved exploring the castles. So we'd make a trip to here, to there, exploring castles, walking in the woods, teaching our kids to ski. I mean, it was unbelievable. On Sundays, our rhythm was we'd get up early, we'd uh, have a great breakfast, we'd head down to Lausanne, about 20 minutes away, right on the border of Lake Geneva. We found a little Scots 
Scotskirk, a Scottish Presbyterian church, just beautiful little chapel, a warm congregation, a great pastor, Pastor Murray Stewart. And um, after service, they'd invite everybody to come together in the church hall, a couple hundred of us, and we share tea and coffee and goodies and the kids running around. And then off we would go to Lake Geneva for our every Sunday afternoon picnic. And we'd pack a picnic, find a bench, like in a place, right, like, like Lutri. It was one of our favorite little places. And what happened is all of Switzerland was shut down. I mean, nobody's going to church, trust me. No one's going to church. But everybody believes that you should work on Sunday. So they got that part of the Bible. They got to figure that one out. So the whole country shut down. Everybody is out with their families walking around. They won't even let the truck, I'm not, I'm not kidding you, they won't let the trucks run on the roads, on the highways. So it's like quiet. And everybody's out. They're dressed up with their families, walking around. having. We just love this rhythm. You had the daily rhythm. You had the weekly rhythms. And then if you don't know this about Europeans, they are serious about their vacations. Like very serious. Uh, so anyways, we're, we're coming to the, to the end of this six months. And Lori and I are going, hasn't this just been amazing and how can we bring some of these rhythms back to life when we head back to Wheaton, Illinois? So we talked about, they wrote down some ideas and uh, then as we're about to leave, um, we find out Lori's pregnant with our fourth. So uh, short story, Lori's pregnancy is very difficult. So we were actually praying about it. You know, Lord, is this a good thing? Should we do this? And so Lori's on the plane and she's sick. And within a week of coming home, she's in the hospital for two weeks where they're feeding her and hydrating her intravenously. And that would be what she would be doing at home for the next like three months. And then three months after we got home, she lost the baby who we named little Gabriel. That's a whole nother sermon and story. So needless to say, all the residual of sabbatical, all the, I mean, because come on, think about it. There's no TV. There was no phone. There were no meetings that I had to go to. I mean, it was the quintessential, ah. And then we got home, and like all of the ah, it was a distant memory. Sabbatical? When was that? I mean, we were in chaos, literally in survival mode. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a Baleg experience. You say maybe it was a time in your life, maybe it was a place in your life. But I believe we were made for that. When the Bible talks about God has placed eternity in our hearts, it's all about a relationship with God that, that brings this kind of satisfaction and peace and joy and fulfillment. And so I don't know where you're at today, but I know this. God made you and me to long for that. Not for the crisis mode. We live in that. But for the, ah, this is awesome. So I'd like you to just think about where you're at right now and figure out which set of words best describes you. Peace, joy, balance, health, and satisfaction. Or overwhelmed, tense, exhausted, frantic, empty. Is it possible that we're swapping peace for progress? joy for prosperity. So what are you longing for? And what do you wish you could change about how you're living 
your life today. I want you to just listen to this list and see if you can relate to any of these because I think if we can, to some degree, we have moved beyond busy to crazy busy from balance and a life that is full to a life that is not balanced and it's too full. So, see how you do. Are you perpetually late running and rushing through the day? Do you hear yourself say to the kids, come on guys, hurry up. I said that a lot. Are you regularly driving over the speed limit and having conversations with other drivers? <laughs> Are you working so hard and such long hours that when you get home, you really don't have anything left in the tank for your family, for your friends, your spouse, your kids? Do you regularly bring work home? Have you now found that you've termed a new term? It's a working vacation. Procrastination. No time to pray. A lack of clarity over what's important. Under a pile of debt, constantly fighting about money. You don't take a day off. You don't remember the last time you've had a vacation. Exercise. Rarely sharing a meal together. Rarely ever preparing a meal. Trouble getting to sleep. Trouble falling back asleep. You find yourself, ironically, bragging about how busy your life is. Because it feels like the important thing to say, right? There's clutter from your closet to your car to your desk to your mind. You're lonely, but you've never had more friends who like you more. You can't unplug from your phone, from the internet, from the TV, from Netflix, from the radio, the stereo. Silence is kind of spooky. It freaks you out. So this last week, we were just talking about our Good Friday Easter services, and uh, we were going through things, and Ben asked um, R.D., so R.D., when we had that period of silence, did you make it the full two minutes? R.D. said, man, I could only go 70 seconds because I felt like there was going to be outright rebellion in the room. I could feel it. Now, if you were here, do you realize that? It was 70 seconds. Remember how it felt like seven hours? We move away from silence. It, it, it's unsettling, quiet. We feel overwhelmed, redicted to something, to some things. There's growing resentment, and I'm sure I've left out a whole bunch. See, these things are telling me, they're telling us that we move from busy to crazy busy, from a life of healthy rhythms and balance to imbalance. It's like the old pinball machine, the tilt Right? We, we tilted it, and, and it stops. The tilt light is on. We're not living a healthy life. We're pursuing a pace that is not sustainable, a pace that actually exceeds and extends beyond our true human limitations. And so the question is, how do we get here? Now, I'm not a historian. I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm a pastor theologian. So I feel like I have confidence 
as we open God's word. But let me try and just give a primer on historic, a historic issue, a sociological, a psychological couple of factors, all right? So in terms of history, let's just think of how the world has changed since the Industrial Revolution and, and how there's been constant progress and with that, constant change. And so all you need to do is just think about the change in technology and just take our phone, for instance. There was a time when it was mounted to the wall and people had to crank something, right? And then some of us remember a phone. Kids, hang in there, man. It's kind of wild to hear about. But it had a really short cord and it was a rotary dial. And then we got pretty excited when it got to be push buttons. And then it got like a really long cord. You could almost walk to the other room. That was great. And then someone came up with the cordless. And we happily pulled out the antenna, right? And we are just, we are living the dream multitasking. And then Martin Cooper invented the cell phone. Now, this is Martin Cooper with the very first cell phone. I think it's back in the 70s something. That thing was as big as a brick. Now, it's one thing to think about progress and how fast, like, technology has changed. But the other side of it is, so how is that all affecting us? How is technology changing us? It's not all bad. There's so many great things about our phones, right? I mean, I love that you can just get onto our DCC app, right? There's a Door Creek Church app. You can FaceTime a friend, maybe a spouse who's deployed some other part of the world. You can catch up with a grandchild or a distant friend. It's awesome. I mean, I think about on my phone, I've got my calendar. I can bank. Can you believe it? I can take a picture. Of... Sorry. Yeah, RD. Hey, man. Dude, it's like 9.42. It's, I'm preaching. What do you mean you and Emily want to move back to Texas? No, 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 no. Listen, this is a fluke. This weather's a fluke. Hang on. It's good. It's going to be. Oh, I'll get back to you. All right. See you, man. So we love our phones. I keep my notes. I got weather. I got better than weather. I got radar. I got instantaneous weather. It was a little strange yesterday, I have to say. I got my emails, GPS, step tracker, right? I got to get to 10,000 steps. I'm tracking that. My music library, instant access to the internet and all things information. My alarm clock, my calculator. I get my ESPN sports fix. I've got my... Hold on. You know, and here's the deal. I get, I've become like Pavlov's dog. I mean, I'm studying. All right, that's it. I'm turning it off. I, I, I get studying, and that thing buzzes. And I, at 5.45 this morning, I'm sleeping, and I heard the vibration. Somebody texted me. It's like, I'm, I've become Pavlov's dog. I am so, it's just really hard. I have found that this is far more like stressful if I lose this than my wallet. It didn't used to be, didn't used to be. And so um, that's just an example. Lots and lots have changed. I'm just really glad my children banned me from Facebook. They said, Dad, <laughs> you can't promise us so and I'm not smart enough to figure out Twitter and Instachat so you know I've got I've got it see 
was that Snapchat? Whatever. <laughs> it's true. And I'm happily, but I'm still, it's very wonderful and it's complicating. It's changed. It's changing us. That's just a little history, right? Industrialization. Let's talk about urbanization. In 1800, 2% of the world's population lived in an urban center. 2%. Today, 54%, and it's changing rapidly. In our country, 81%. So when I say an urban center, that means Madison and the surrounding communities. Chicago, the surrounding communities. So the suburbs, the urban city, all right? So what does that mean? Well, all of a sudden, we're commuting more. The average American is commuting at least four hours, 45 minutes a day, at least four hours a week, spending $2,600 just for the commute part of their world. So there's less time. There's less money for other things. Think about some of the, psych, uh, excuse me, the sociological forces. So I'll just go to advertising and marketing. I could say you could reduce culture's message to us in, in this simple phrase. You, you deserve a great life. You deserve it. You deserve a life of luxury, a life of ease, of leisure, and of complete happiness. And so marketing and advertising is built on that foundational principle. Hey, Mark, you need this. If you get this, look at how this is going to make you feel. Look at the status place you're going to If you drive this car, if you wear this clothes, whatever, it's all built on that. And so isn't it interesting that as everything is dangled before us today, the weekend with its parties has become the dominant focus of the week for many, many people. The lottery, with its winning ticket, is kind of a big hope, a dream. Retirement, with the promise of endless recreation and a life of luxurious leisure. That's what we're holding on to, holding up for. And then there's these kind of internal forces, psychological things. We're going to really unpack this, because one of the things that I, I want us to really hone in on is what is the stuff underneath the busyness of my life and of your life. And so we're going to be looking at fear, pride, insecurity, things like greed and envy that are some of the drivers that have everything to do with my heart, not just what's going on out here in my life and world. So, look, I'm not an, I'm not an expert on a simple life. I've had a wonderful experience a time or two in Balag, Switzerland, but I'm like the poster boy for someone who's always kind of pushing it. I could get one more thing. I'm like perpetually like a minute late, two minutes late. I can do one more thing. I can get it in. So uh, did you hear what I just said? I am not the expert here. I am really looking forward. So if you guys don't learn anything, this is going to be really helpful to me. And so you can rejoice that I'm growing as a pastor. But um, I, I don't have the answers. But I, I'm confident as we look to God and his word, he is going to guide us. So let's do that right now. Grab your Bible, Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, we are going to find out how the, ans how the Bible answers this question. So Genesis, if you're new to the Bible, is page 1 of your Bible. That was an easy one. You don't even have to go to table of contents. All right, so it's like first book, first page, get through the uh, introduction stuff. So let's pick up the story, because what we learn here is in the very good beginning, there's work and rest, and it was a peaceful, soul-satisfying, good life that is full of balance. Life was more than good. It was perfect. This is paradise. 
verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit, that is the Holy Spirit of God, was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So within creation, we see order. We see rhythms. There's night and there's day. There is rest and there is work and activity. How do we know there is work? Go down to verse 28. Adam and Eve were given a job to do. It's not a result of, oh, they messed up and now they got to pay off for their sins and God's going to give them hard labor. No, this is part of God's good creation. God blessed them, verse 28, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the seas and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In the very good beginning, there was work and there was rest. Chapter two, verse two. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. What does that mean? He set it apart. He consecrated it for everyone, not just for himself. He made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. But everything changes in chapter three. Do you have a chapter title on chapter three? What does it say? The fall. Yeah, this is decreation. So in the very good beginning, Adam and Eve, though they had all things, they doubted God's goodness when he said, you can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because the day if you eat of that, you're going to die. They doubted God's goodness. They disobeyed his clear command and they exchanged God being the ruler and king over their lives to self-rule. And now all of a sudden, they're living a life that's diminished under the curse and everything in God's good creation changed. Their relationship with God and with each other, with the created world, their work changed and work has forever changed. Our work, it's not that it's all bad, but it's been tainted by sin and rest has changed. So sin separates and it brings death. First there was spiritual separation and then Adam and Eve they did die. So chapter three tells us once they ate of the fruit, all of a sudden they did know good and evil. They knew it existentially. They knew they had done wrong. And the response to that is they hide from God. So he goes chasing after him. Where are you, Adam? Why are you hiding? Well, I was naked. Who told you you're naked? Well, you know, he goes and he, th he throws his wife under the bus. Well, Eve... She gave me the apple. She gave me the fruit, right? And then Eve, what happened? Well, the, the, the devil made me do it, the serpent. And so you, you see what's going on. There's, there's fear, there's rejection, there's blame, there's a new relationship that is with the enemy who will be their nemesis until Christ comes to defeat him and sin is complicating everything. Their work has changed. Look at verse 16. There's pain in childbirth. Verses 17, 18, and 19 tell us the ground that Adam was supposed to take care of, God's creation, now that has been cursed. And all that was supposed to be easy 
and soft and no big deal as Adam worked the land became hard and there were thorns and there were thistles and it would be by the sweat of his brow. Their rest changed. Why did it change? Because they're expelled from the garden and they soon discovered that rest has everything to do with a relationship of trust with God and that relationship has been broken off by them saying, we don't need you, God. And so rest is compromised. Hearts are breaking. Families are breaking. Cain kills Abel. It gets so bad in chapter 6 that the violence is so prevalent, the evil is so prevalent, that God says, I can stand it no longer. I'm going to wipe out the whole lot. I'm starting over with righteous Noah and his family. We fast forward in the Bible's story. Because really, the, the Bible's story gives us the answer to how do we get here? And how do we get out of here, so to speak? And when you fast forward the story from Noah to Abraham to Egypt, all of a sudden we find God's people in a place of Egypt when they're slaves to King Pharaoh and rest literally has been obliterated. It's gone. There is no one day in seven of rest. It was seven days a week. God calls Moses. He says, Moses, go talk to Pharaoh. Ask him to let my people go so you can go out in the wilderness and worship me. Sounds a lot like a Sabbath rest. When Pharaoh hears that, he says, this is, this is in Exodus chapter 5. He says, oh man, if you've got time to think of these kinds of ideas and wishes, you don't have enough work to do. And so he raises the stakes. He says, quota stays the same but we're no longer supplying the straw as you make bricks. You gotta go get your straw. There is no rest. In the middle of this, God says, look, Moses, I'm gonna use you and I'm gonna blow my people out of Egypt because I'm gonna take you to land flowing with milk and honey. We know it's called the promised land if we've read that section of scripture. But what's associated with the land is rest. I'm gonna give you rest in that place. And so God does a mighty deliverance, right? The 10th plague, the angel of death. They go out of Egypt. They get to the edge of the Red Sea. He gets them through the Red Sea. They wander in the wilderness because of their disobedience. But then finally, Joshua has them crossing the Jordan River and they get into that place. And it is a place flowing with milk and honey. And they're living in the houses they didn't build and drinking from the wells they didn't dig. And they're having wine made from the vineyards they never planted. But here's the sad story is they actually were in the right place, the promised land, but because they weren't in a right relationship with God, they never fully entered the rest. And this is going to be a, a key for us to start working through what it is that we're longing for and where do we find it. So listen what Hebrews says. The writer of Hebrews, we don't really know who wrote Hebrews, so we just say the writer of Hebrews says this. Chapter 4, verse 8. For if Joshua, this is Moses' successor, had given them rest, he's the one who took them in the promised land, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So God delivers them from Egypt. He saves them for a relationship. He takes them to Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments are unfolded and it was all about a relationship. I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. And their rest would be found in that relationship that they're trusting in and living by faith, taking God at his word. But because they still had problems, we still have problems doing that. 
they were unable to find true rest. And so the Bible story will point us to another day when there is perfect rest. And until that day, another one who promises rest. Jesus, God's Savior. It's really interesting in Genesis chapter 3, before Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden into this harsh new world, God kills an animal. There's a sacrifice out of his mercy and grace to protect Adam and Eve for the harsh realities of the new world, pointing ahead to this future Savior, Jesus Christ. The one he says in Genesis 3.15 to Eve, one of your, one of your male descendants, he is going to crush this serpent's head. He is going to bring deliverance. So everything's changed, but God, he's true to his word. He still desires a relationship, and he promises a way forward through this promised Savior, through his mercy and grace. So let's not miss this. When the Bible's working out, how do we get here? The answer to how did things get this way is quite simply, we are where we are today because we broke off our relationship with God. The one and only one who is full of life, who gives life to the full, the one who gives us peace and joy and satisfaction. We broke off our relationship to the one who is life, who gives life, and as Jesus describes it, a life that is abundant and full and marked with joy and peace. That's what happened. And so this is going to be key because it's going to be intensely practical as we walk through the, the biblical teaching about things like possessions and money and time and parenting and all these other really practical subjects. And we're going to see what the Bible teaches, commands at times, principles. But here's the deal. You could actually know all those things and be pursuing them and not really being in a relationship with God. And we would just be like the Israelites, that we're, we're in the land, but we're not experiencing the fullness of what God has for us because we're not in relationship. We're just trying to pursue these good habits. So this is a Christ-centered church that believes the Bible is God's word. And the hope for you and me is not just getting around some helpful habits. You can probably get that at the Kiwanis Club this week or somewhere else. What we need to see is how the Bible connects what we're longing for, not just with habits, but with the one, Jesus Christ, who perfectly lived out his life in a world that was crazy busy and flawed and twisted and broken. And that's going to be really important as we look to find rest today and balance and peace. And so do you get that this is all about being rooted in Christ, abiding in Christ, finding joy in Christ, and fruitfulness in Christ. So what are you looking for today? And where are you looking for what you're looking for? How's that going? Where are you at? In your groups this week, I'm excited for you to just honestly share where you're too busy. And, and then, what's driving it? That's 
that's the gold. When we go, so why do I do that? What's broken in my, what is disconnected? What's the, what's not connecting in my heart to Christ that is making me be goofy as I pursue work? Because work is doing something for me that actually Christ should do for me. And that's out of balance because this isn't connecting. That, that's going to be gold. And I don't think it happens in a moment. But we want to get underneath the things that are out of balance. What's driving it? So here's what Lewis says. This is really important. You can't get second things by putting them first. You get second things only by putting first things first. So if, if you will, the cut line on our series is simplify. Here's the cut line. Putting first things first. That's what we want to do. And obviously it has everything to do with our relationship with God. So one of the things early on here, I just want us to slow down and have a sense of assessment like this week in the weeks to come. So how am I doing? Let me write some things down. So why not assess a couple things? One, the relationships we have in our life. So thumbs up, thumbs down. Hey, don't do this literally right now because you're sitting next to some of the people that I'm going to ask you about. All right, so I know some of you just woke up. Why are people laughing? So thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> That's figurative. Don't really do this if you just woke up because I'm going to ask you about relationships that you're sitting next to. So think about these. Thumbs up, thumbs up. This does not work. There's none of this. It's this, all right? These are your options. Your relationship with God. If you're married, your relationship with your spouse. With your kids. With your parents your siblings, your friends. Now let's just talk about some areas. These are a lot of the areas that we're going to be digging into. Your schedule, thumbs up, thumbs down. I had a good friend say to me a year ago, Mark, if you don't have a tinge of guilt for parts of your schedule, like you're feeling guilty that you're not, if you don't feel that at places in your week, you're out of balance. That was helpful. Up or down on schedule? How about rest? The Sabbath rest, one day in seven. How about work? Relationships? Media? Food? Exercise? Sleep? All the stuff of our health? Sex? Money, possessions. This is a time to assess. This is a time to ask God, what's out of balance? What's driving that, Lord? For some of us, we just need to actually start writing it down because it'll slow us down. And I don't do this. So I'm, I, I, journaling, oh my word, that's so hard. But when I do, it's so good because it slows me down. To start writing ourselves clear. That'd be a prayer. So I'll close with this quote from one of the resources that are there on your sermon sheet today. Crazy busy Kevin DeYoung. It's a really good quote. It's not wrong to be tired. It's not wrong to feel overwhelmed. It's not wrong to go through seasons of complete chaos. What is wrong and heartbreakingly foolish and wonderfully avoidable is, a lit, is to live a life with more craziness 
than we want because we have less Jesus than we need. That's good. Why don't you read that with me, this part, okay? What is wrong and heartbreakingly foolish and wonderfully avoidable is to live a life with more craziness than we want because we have less Jesus than we need. Let's pray. And Lord Jesus, we need you. The one at whose right hand are pleasures and joy forever. We need you, the one who came and said, I've come to give you life and live it to the full. We need you, the one who said, give me your burdens and give me your weariness and I'll give you my rest. We need you, Lord Jesus. And we want to follow you with hearts of faith. And on this journey, we want to find all that you have called us to do. And so, Lord, bless your people, even as Aaron blessed your people long ago. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.